There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry all right we are back with another episode of the forever mighty podcast <laughs> and uh, it's becoming a theme lately man uh yeah. john gibson number one star Third, third star in the NHL across the last week, but he's making a case to get first star next week. Second shutout of the season. 30 way, it's 31 save shutout tonight against the Coyotes. I mean, you, there's not much more you can say about the guy right now. I mean, he's as hot as he's ever been, and it's so nice to see him rebound after a tough year last year. Yeah, they had an interesting fact there at the end of the game where uh, he got this shutout, another one nothing one. Uh, the 21 shutouts he now has, nine of them have been one to nothing <laughs> that's just absolutely insane how much they rely on him and i remember when he was killing it that one season where we were stealing everything in the beginning i think one of those games was against arizona where he had another one nothing shutout uh and it just it almost becomes its own story and we knew gibson was going to have to steal some of these games too uh to kind of help the ducks along and uh, he's he's definitely showing up so it's good to see yeah i mean you can't ask for more from the guy right now and you know, he's going to have to make a majority of these starts throughout the entire season. Obviously, Ryan Miller is going to get in to a, a few games here and there. But, you know, you, you want to say, why not ride the hot hand until it's not hot anymore? But we know with John Gibson, you know, with the past and the Ducks running him into the ground and the fatigue issues that, you know, that's obviously not a viable option for them, especially with the condensed schedule this year. But, man, it's hard not to, you know, if you're Dallas Aikens right now, how do you just not say, hey, let's just go with him? Obviously not on back-to-backs, but... 
you know, the the first game he had, he got off this year was they had, I think, you know, they a, had a day's rest. They yeah. had a shutout, and then they let in uh, Ryan Miller going after that. Yeah, and, and Gibby got the complete day off because Stolarz came in as the backup. So it's yeah. like, you know, you want to give the guy some of that rest, right, so that he can continue this throughout the entire season. But it's hard not to say, man, like this is, you know, probably the only reason we're winning games right now is because of this guy. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, Miller's a good backup too, and I think he can he can do, you know, as well or comparable to what Gibson can do uh, in any of those situations. Um, but I think the start is probably the most important thing for the Ducks. If they get behind too early in the season, then it doesn't matter who you keep throwing in the net; it gets a little bit tougher. So I think you get some of these early wins, let them get settled in, and hopefully players start figuring the goal scoring side of things out. And then all of a sudden we're already kind of at a, a higher base than if we were just down in the dumps already. So he's given him the platform to jump off of, which you got to hope that that takes <laughs> off at some point. Yeah. And, and I mean, Dave brought up a good point here is that Gibby's going to get one of either Saturday or Sunday off this weekend, because mm-hmm. it is the first back-to-back of the season against the yeah. blue. So he will get a little bit of a rest, but you have to think he, he goes Thursday against the Coyotes again. Uh, you know, you could maybe make the argument that Miller could go and it could be another night off for, for Gibby. But with the back-to-back coming this weekend, you know he's playing at least one of those games. I wouldn't be surprised if they threw him in Thursday and then said, hey, you know, Saturday is going to be Miller's night. We'll throw you in on Sunday on the second game of the back-to-back against the Blues and kind of switch up the uh, the normal start that would be for Ryan Miller. Yeah, and you also got to consider, too, even though it's more of a condensed schedule for the Ducks, it's a little bit easier than a regular season in that they're not going to Canada for five games and then heading down the eastern seaboard for another three games and they're on an eight-game road trip where they're gone for 20 days and then they got to come back home and all that travel back and forth. You know, literally the farthest they got to go is is really St. Louis at that point. Um, and other than that, most of the stuff is within their time zone or close to it. So even even though there may be a condensed schedule, I don't feel like they're doing as much traveling or wear and tear, not getting that rest. And I don't think they're going to get a lot of practices in between games, or at least not high-intensity ones, where that could eventually start wearing on, on a team like the Ducks. So I think they're used to having to do all that running around, and they don't have to do it now. Yeah, if you wanted a year to bounce back as a goaltender, it's a year where there's – you know, literally no travel compared to a regular NHL <laughs> yeah. season, and you can get that rest and yeah. and you can get that breaks in between games. But uh, before we get into the breakdown here, let's take a look at the the lineup before the game. A couple changes: Troy Terry gets dropped, which I don't want to say it's surprising based off his play. Um, you know, you know, some people actually called that this could happen, but it it, it is surprising in the sense I didn't expect Dallas Aikens to do it, and not only that, did I, I didn't expect it to be for Vinny Letary to come in and immediately take that spot on the line with come to one steal, uh, and then also uh, Ben Hutton comes in for his Ducks debut uh, for Andy Walensky to play with Jakob Larson. But yeah, that that Troy Terry one was a uh, was an interesting surprise. I think more of the uh, the replacement was the surprise because I'm I'm gonna be. Pretty honest with you, I, I I didn't know who it was who came in to play, <laughs> <laughs> but um, from from what I was told, uh, the uh, the uh, broadcast is just that you know he's been there and he's he's been working really hard and they wanted to give everyone that opportunity to start the season who who should or is familiar with playing and given that opportunity. But um, I I've said it over the last couple of uh, games, I am completely unimpressed with Troy Terry. Um, 
and this is coming from someone who wants to see him do well and you know was had high hopes and expecting it to happen um uh, but but the dude's been given power play opportunities been giving you know a, a good spot on you know quote unquote the kid line and uh, he just he, he doesn't produce if he gets that chance it's either wide or he turns it over or he takes a penalty it's just nothing has really clicked and it's for whatever reason it's not clicking um and i think i said this a, a couple games ago i said you know hey i'm gonna go to the ahl and, and dominate the ahl I, I just don't think he right now can translate to the nhl level i hope he does at some point but uh, at some point if you're not going to produce you got to get out of the way and someone else is going to come in and uh, produce although no one really was producing this game but uh, it's not surprising that, to me at least, that Terry's has got to go. He just even his play with not producing, just with the puck, he just doesn't. It's just not cutting it for what we need. Yeah, you're not alone there in the uh, Vanilla Terry uh, news. I think Derek in our <laughs> chat said he had no no idea who he was either when uh, he got called up. And uh, you know, I don't blame a lot of people. He was a pretty under the radar. Well, uh, I guess you would most people thought in, in San Diego signing during the summer. Um, you know, it's it's a guy you don't really think would have gotten a debut over some other guys, but with the goals not playing right now, and you know maybe Lattery has been looking good to, in in kind of camp and in practice down there, so he gets handed a shot. But I, I think if uh, you know you're looking at a, an AHL season underway, it's probably a different story at that point. I, and, and I think for Terry as well. I mean, you know, I, this is more so. I think uh, I don't want to call it a warning, but. Yeah, it, it, it's a sign from the coaching staff that you have to pick up your game because it's not like he's going down to San Diego and playing a game tonight. You know, they're they're not starting their season for a few few days here, so he's going down and basically getting scratched for the night. And and it's a transaction on paper that has to say he gets sent to to San Diego because he's waiver exempt, so they can make room for Latari. But it is pretty much a, a benching for him tonight and saying, hey man, like you got to get your game going if you want to to keep your roster spot. Did you notice a difference? I, if Terry had been in there, I, I don't think I would have seen much of a difference either way. So, Yeah, I mean, Terry comes right in and basically takes Troy Terry's spot because he's on the first power play unit. Yeah. And he came in, and, and again, I think it's a sign from the coaching staff saying, like, if this guy can come in and have the same p- impact that you've been having over the first few games, what does that say about the way you've been playing? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's, it's a harsh lesson, I think, for, for Terry to learn early on in the season, but... It, it's one I think he needs to go through because a lot of us have seen it. You know, his game hasn't been up to par to start the year. And, you know, he's needed this spark a few times in his career so far where he's had to get sent down, do well in the AHL and come back up and, and prove he needs to, you know, play at a higher level to stick with the roster. So hopefully this is just another one of those notches in the belt for him and he comes up and, and plays maybe on Thursday and has a good game. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes putting them, uh, you know, up in the rafters and kind of watching the game a little bit and see maybe he gets a different perspective. I don't know, but he's been around long enough that I, I think he knows what's up and what he needs to do, and it just uh, hasn't translated yet. So you know, I think it's more of a warning, like, hey, someone comes in and starts producing better, you're going to be sitting for a while. So you better hope that not that doesn't that doesn't happen. And then when you come back in, you start being that guy. So I don't have to go looking for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a guy like Vanilla Terry. Who can jump in and take that spot? You've also got a, a kid by the name of Trevor Zegers down there, who's chomping at the bit to to make his NHL debut. And you know, as much as you don't want to lose your roster spot to a guy who's played most of his career in the AHL, the last thing Troy Terry wants is for Trevor Zegers to step in the lineup and play you know play so well that they can't Lights take him out. out. Yeah, you know, exactly. I don't think he's as worried about Terry taking his spot. It's about the other guys down there who could you know lay claim to that spot and not let it go. So. 
you would you would think that they're eager to get Terry back in for the next couple of games here and see if he can prove himself. But uh, let's. I know, uh, I know. I know. He's eager. <laughs> yeah, he, he should be right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, his roster spot, like a lot of other guys on this team, is not guaranteed. So, let's get into the breakdown here. First period starts off uh, quicker than than the last few. I mean, the Ducks have been better with their starts over the last few games here, but. Um, you know, a little bit back and forth early. John Gibson makes a, a pretty nice save, and it goes immediately down the other way with Ryan Getzlaff on a breakaway. And I I feel like we say this all the time with Getzlaff, but he has such a great shot, but when he gets on a breakaway, he just overthought it. And he ends up fanning on it, and, and it, it doesn't get a good word on him and try to get it past Kemper. Yeah, um, with, with Getzlaff, yeah, he's not a speedster, so you're not going to see a lot of uh, breakaways. Uh, I think the last one I can remember, I think, was last season when he got that overtime winner against uh, Vancouver, I think it was. And he kind of did a little dipsy doodle um, around uh, an overzealous goalie. Uh, but other than that, that was three on three. So other than that, I, you don't see Getzloff ever get these breakaways. I think he was he was trying so hard to get separation. By the time he looked up, he was at the hash marks and he's like, Oh crap, I got to do something here. And he didn't, he didn't make a move. I would have thought he probably would have tried to make a move. He tries to, that puck so far in front of him as a goalie and that, that puck, when you see that, the the forward crashing in has the puck in front of him, you know, for the most part, you know, he's, he's kind of limiting his options. The fact that he even shoveled it to try and do five holes kind of surprising because usually if it's in front, that's when they're going to go for the deke. And then by the time he kind of decided what he wanted to do, Kemper already had his stick down. Um, but if Getzloff had kind of made a move, I think he could have had him dead to rights on the left or right side. However, he ended up moving on that one. But uh, Kemper's a good goalie, and uh, he's a lanky goalie, big goalie, so it's a little tough. But, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Getzloff picked his head up, and he didn't realize how close he was. He had to make a quick decision. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, the signs of a guy who hasn't had too many chances this year. <laughs> a guy who is was... just just don't let anyone catch you. Don't let anyone catch you. Uh, oh crap, goalie, shoot! <laughs> I mean, you know, we we hope he gets on the scoreboard. I was hoping he would too. I got him yeah, in fantasy hockey, so I need yeah, him to. Need him, I need him to put up some points here. I mean, he's he's filling the other yeah. categories for me, but he's got to be getting on the score sheet there. Uh, here and, and we talked about uh, the last show of the Ducks fourth line was tasked with shutting down Nathan McKinnon's line so they had a pretty decent game I mean analytically they got caved in but they ended up keeping McKinnon to only one goal in that game and had another tough task in this one and for most of the first period they were hemmed in their own zone I think there was a two and a half minute shift where they were stuck out there and John Gibson made uh, another good save on Kajula to keep it uh, scoreless at that point in time but uh, man the fourth line has had some adventures this year there's there's at times where they've looked like the Ducks best line and have been the only line to contribute offensively and then there are some times where they're out there and defensively they just can't clear the zone. Yeah, every line seems to have the the same problem, and, and that's consistency. Um, and, you know, like you said, you, you've, you've seen uh, Delorier be good, Rowney's been good, uh, and even Grant to a lesser degree uh, has been good enough to, to be considered our top line. Um, and this one kind of had that, that, that good start, but then it swayed the other way. It seemed like that first period was a lot of that. It was just... There was a, quite a few minutes where, where Arizona was just kind of making us run around, and then we kind of put it back. We actually held possession time. That's been kind of good, and that's where I think us and Arizona are somewhat similar in a lot of ways, is that um, if we're both doing that, usually the Ducks don't do that to, to teams that are better than them, but since we're playing in Arizona, it seemed like they'd have a good you know 
few minutes, we'd have a good few minutes, and nothing really ever came of it. But it was just enough of that that swinging back and forth that I thought it wasn't you know necessarily bad, but it wasn't a great game. We weren't playing a great team, so it's kind of what you expected. Yeah, and it's a better start, honestly, to to the first period overall than earlier on in the season. I think the last three games the Ducks have played, they've gotten out, out of the gate a little bit quicker. Uh, compared to you know the first few games where they were just getting absolutely lit up and, and get lucky in a few games, a few posts by by uh, the Minnesota game, a few posts in the Colorado game too, and you know despite that kind of two to two to four minute stretch there where they were getting hemmed in, I thought it was a pretty good period, and you know ultimately they get the goal from Danton Heinen, which was a great individual effort for him to steal the puck. Tries to pass it off to flex off his skate, goes right back to him, and he shoots the second time. A good thing he did because he wires a top shelf on, on Darcy Kemper. And, you know, this is a guy who has been given a top six opportunity to start the season. He's looked good in his own zone, which is expected of him. And it's nice to see him get on the board. Obviously, you know, Raquel and Silverberg got their first for the season last game. So it's nice to see Danton Heinen get his first and hopefully build that confidence up. Yeah, he, he looked good. Um, I, I liked him on that line. I liked him on this line much better than the top line. Um, and it, it was a great steal. He try, tried to make a pass, ended up getting back. And they said in the broadcast, like he didn't really want to shoot. He was really trying to find somebody to give it to. And ultimately, he was kind of left with no option other than just shoot it. And then from the goalie perspective of Kemper, your defenseman, you want him to just get the hell out of the way because that was a perfect screen by his own defenseman. And Heine did a good job of shooting around both of them to an open uh, stick side on Kemper. So it was good, you know, when no other options present itself and you shoot, make it a good shot, and he did. And, um, you know, hey, we needed it for sure. So game-winning goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the not the one you would expect this early in the game. But, I mean, yeah. the way the way the Ducks are playing hockey this year, it's going to be a lot of one nothing, 2-1, 3-1 games. Uh, especially when John Gibson's playing the way he does. And speaking to John Gibson, he closes out the period strong, makes a nice glove save on Connor Garland. Again, positionally sound. He made that look easier than it probably was. And really the closest that Coyotes came uh, is Lawson Krause hits the post to, to close out that first period. And, you know, again, I'm, we, we're going to say this multiple times, not only on this show, but throughout the entire season. But what a period from John Gibson to keep the Ducks in at a few chances for the Coyotes that easily could have gone in the back of the net. And, you know, when you're as good as John Gibson is and you're playing with this level of confidence, it's it's going to be extremely hard for anybody to beat you. Yeah, and especially since that, that period started with the Ducks shooting in Arizona 3-1, to one, and then uh, I think it was uh, you know just just before the goal, I think it had swayed all the way back to 8-4 to four or something like that, Arizona's yeah. way. So there was definitely a lot of uh, pressure on uh, Gibson, but a lot of those plays that were either thrown out in front, he made really good, solid saves. Um, he had his glove on a couple of them. And then, yeah, you're always going to need your best friend to kind of bail you out every now and again. Uh, I think even Gibson's a little bit surprised that some of these haven't been going in because some of them that, that go past him, he kind of gives that old shrug where he's just like, damn it, it went in, <laughs> didn't it? And then he's like, oh, oh, no, hit the post. Oh, oh, okay, I'm good, I'm good, okay, let's get back into it. Let's keep going, guys. So I've seen him do that a couple of times where he's just like, I can see the body language go like, damn it, all right. But then he realizes, oh, it hasn't gone in yet. So you need a little bit of that luck. He has some of that, but a lot of it, uh, he's, he's a lot more uh, – a lot more focused on the puck. He's tracking it very well. So he's able to kind of look around a lot of players. And by tracking it a little bit better, obviously, he can get some sort, some body part in front of it. And uh, he did that the first period and uh, a lot in the third period as well. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, again, we mentioned this, and I said this is, you know, one of the biggest cliches in hockey is, you know, you got to be lucky to be good, but you got to be good to be lucky. And John Gibson, I think the biggest improvement for him this year for me is his positioning. And, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, when you look at these shots hitting the post, that's the only shot available to, the, <laughs> all to these him, guys. Yeah, all he gave him, baby. <laughs> you've got, you know, you look at, I think, Kaprizov when he hit the crossbar in the game against Minnesota. He would have had to make a perfect shot, like the width of the puck to get that in. He comes close, but John Gibson really took away a lot of that angle. And, you know, not every shot is like that. Not every shot that hit the post is like that. I think there was one uh, near the end of this game where he gets a piece of it with his pad and it kind of grazes the outside of the post. So, again, there is some luck involved there. But, I mean, like John Gibson is not giving a lot of We've seen him challenge exceptionally well. We've seen him, you know, just, like you said, reading the game well where he can get into a good enough position that it makes it an easier save than it would have been, say, with him last year where the confidence was low. Uh, you know, this is this is just a, an exceptional start to the season for John Gibson, and we you know we joke and say Vesna watches on, but when you're having these types of performances and making these types of saves, it's you know there's a reason guys like Elliot Friedman predicted that John Gibson could win the Vesna this year, and it it would be an important part of the Ducks' success. A hundred percent. Although I don't I don't share that Vesna thought because it <laughs> also tough, yeah. it, it also revolves around your wins. Although he's putting them up now, we'll just see how how everything kind of uh, progresses. Uh, do I think he's Vesna, uh, you know, top top goalie in the league? One hundred percent, he's definitely up there. Uh, but we'll have to see how how the wins stack up. Um, but if he keeps getting shutouts or giving up only one goal, then uh, I think we're we're in good shape to kind of keep getting wins if we can just squeak out a couple more goals. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, eventually, it's gonna like it always does. It's, it's gonna come back to haunt them a bit if they can't, you know, score enough goals on the season. And especially on the power um, play, man. That was the other thing. We yeah, really yeah. And then we're gonna dig into the power play and also the Ducks' need for a goal score at the end of the show. We've got some post game topics that cover both of that. Both of that. But uh, first, we got to move into the second period here. Not a great start for both teams. Just uh, a lot of turnovers, not a, a bunch of chances. I think, you know, teams kind of feeling each other out after that first period where there wasn't, you know, a whole lot of action. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the Ducks get sloppy. And we've seen this uh, <laughs> as a trend in the second periods over the last little bit here. And Shattenkirk has a turnover uh, that almost burns them as uh, Connor Garland just throws it over an empty net. Uh, you know, we talked about a little bit of luck with John Gibson on this one. I think Garland would, would want that one back. He had a entire top half of the net to throw it in and uh, ends up airmailing it over that. And then a little bit later, Dvorak picks the pocket of Cam Fowler, throws it back to the point, and it's our, our big finish friend, Yanni Hackenpa, mm-hmm. with uh, one of his four <laughs> blocks on the game. And, and you know, when you look back on it now, it's, uh, it's a game-saving block. It keeps the score at one nothing at that point in time. And you know, that's a prime scoring chance if, if he doesn't dive in front of that one. And that's, uh, that's a classic block, too, diving in front of it with, with, with both yeah. feet forward. And that was it was good instincts uh, like the the Fowler Fowler losing it. He kind of got caught from behind. And they even said this on the broadcast. It just it didn't seem like he, he knew that that was coming from behind because he was starting to kind of look. All right. Well, what's my what am I going to do? And he's skating and all of a sudden his pockets back ends up taking a slashing penalty on it. But Dvorak drops it back. And just instinctually, as uh, Hockenbaugh is, is there trying to get you know into something he sees the shot coming and he just throws those legs out and boom deflects it up and away it was just instinctual and and sometimes you know you can't teach that you, can, you know sometimes they kind of get into that oh no who else do i need to kind of cover but if you just see it happen you go i need to react and you do something like that 
I love those plays for whatever reason. Just like, hey, it just clicked in my mind. I did it, and it worked out the way I hoped it would have. So what could have been a very possible goal turns into a shot up and over and out. So uh, that was that was a great, great defensive play uh, when he was really needed to bail his other uh, defenseman out. Yeah, and and we've seen that all seasons from Hackenpuss so far. We've we've yeah. kind of it's just gotten better and better. It's yeah. like every game is just this game gets just a little bit better in certain areas. It's weird, but fun. <laughs> yeah, and and again, we're we're never going to expect offense out of Yanni Hackenpuss, but you know these are the types of moments where you can get noticed as a guy who really focuses on the defensive side of the game is is just you know doing the right thing and making the right plays and. He really hasn't made a mistake, and that's all you can ask from him. And when he's playing with a guy like Cam Fowler, there's not a lot of margin for error to be kind of that secondary stopgap option behind Cam Fowler when he's trying to help out the offense, which is you know in desperate need of a player like Cam Fowler to get up there and, and create an odd man situation. You need a, a guy like Hackenbauer who's just supremely reliable back there. And like you said, every game... He gets better and better, so you start noticing a bit more. The confidence is building up from him. And, you know, if you had told me coming into the season that Yanni Hakenpa would be making his case for the, the best Ducks defenseman so far, you know, seven games in, I would have laughed at you. I said, there's no chance. The guy barely played yeah. last year. But, hey, he's proven everybody wrong. And, and for the Ducks, it's great to see, especially because he's a right-shot defenseman in there without Josh Manson for, you know, five or six weeks at this point. That's, that's what I was going to get to as well. Uh, it makes... It makes me miss uh, Manson less and less when I see this guy come in and do what he does. My question to you is that if he continues at least this level, I mean, if he goes better, great, or if he you know, digresses a little bit, uh, or sorry, regresses a little bit, if Manson comes back, do you instantly try and put Manson up in with Fowler if Hankaba is doing so well? Could you just maybe bring in Manson as now your five or six? Because... I have more confidence in uh, in him than I do in Manson. And I think Manson, although serves a purpose because he'll probably fight you, and uh, he might be a little bit more physical too. Uh, I would uh, He's got a value, but I just don't think he's a top four if uh, Hackenpah keeps doing what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, if you're Dallas Aikens, how do you take Hackenpah off a pairing with Cam Fowler at this point in time? I mean, it'd be a very bad decision, in my opinion, to make Stepped that up. move. Just because... You know the name value there. If you know if you're putting Josh Manson back into the top four just because he's Josh Manson, he's Manson. won the A before, he's you know seniority, whatever. You know I get that plays a part, but you you can't do that to Hackenpah right now. He doesn't deserve it the way he's played. I mean he's played his way into that spot, and from what we've heard from Dallas Aiken since he's taken this job is you know, he's a player's coach and he rewards the players that are doing well. And you know look at Troy Terry, he's sitting tonight because he he hasn't been playing well so it would be it surprised me a lot if Hackenpah got immediately taken off that uh, spot with Fowler if he was playing well leading up to one Manson returns in, in about a month's time and that would go against what Akins has been saying too we're in it to win it now and you either need to be helping us now and if you're not then you're gonna have to get out of the way and if Manson's not doing what Hackenpah is doing then you know and then he puts them in back in there. Oh, they got chemistry. Oh, they know each other or something like that. Then I was just like, all right, it's, it's kind of going against what you said you would do. So one thing uh, I think we we can't get too far ahead of ourselves, Dave. Oh, yeah, sorry. 
Dave posed a situation or a potential situation. He said, if Manson does not get traded, does Hackenpie get protected over Manson in the expansion draft? You know, as yeah. great as as great as Hackenpah has been, we're seven games into the season here. Yeah. It depends. Um, yeah, <laughs> I would hard. love for him to play like this for the entire season and make a case, you know, for being a legitimate top four defense. But even if he plays well for fifty six games this year, it's a one season, and I can't see the Ducks saying, you know what, we're gonna take, we're gonna protect you. Over Josh Manson because you know Josh Manson would get claimed if he was available. He's just the type of player that a lot of teams want, and I think if you're the Ducks, you want to avoid that situation if you can. I don't think Hackenpun necessarily gets claimed if you're leaving a guy like Adam Henrique exposed or Max Jones exposed or Isaac Lindstrom exposed. I think those guys are getting taken over over Yanni Hackenpun even after you know a full season of him playing at this level. Well, I mean, uh, I guess uh, I guess Bob Murray can't trade Stoner twice. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess, I guess yeah, we would maybe protect up Manson because um, I'm sure he'd go over there and then we'd have to play him. And then he'd want to fight everybody, and then yeah, I'd, I'd rather not have to play that guy more than I feel bad if he was playing and not doing well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's uh, let's move into the third here and, and, and close it out. Uh, the Ducks got a few more chances in the third period, kind of rebound from a second period where I think they got outshot like fourteen to two or fourteen to four. It was just not <laughs> not a great period from them. Uh, Raquel gets a nice cross ice feed from Getzlaff, but Kemper with uh, with an easy save. And uh, I guess we should, if we're talking about John Gibson, we should talk about Darcy Kemper tonight. I don't think he had a hard game by any means. Uh, but he still was solid, right? You know, it's one of those performances where at the end of the night, you, you only give up one goal. You didn't have to work too hard in, in the game. But, you know, he was still there when the Coyotes needed him. And it was it was a goaltending duel, even with John Gibson getting the victory. Yeah, I thought Kemper was good. Uh, I thought there were a lot of rebounds that he left pretty close around the net. But there were no ducks there. It almost seemed like it was it was a good shot and a good save, but there were no ducks there to try and clean up any sort of rebounds. I think if he had played that game against a team that was maybe more involved at crashing the net and trying to look for those second chances, he might have had a bad game, in my opinion. Um, but given that it was the ducks, it was, like you said, a fairly easy or routine one. The only one he gave up is defenseman did a expert job at, uh, taking away his vision on the shot. Uh, but other than that, I mean, he was sound enough to definitely beat the ducks. If you only give up one goal, odds are you're probably going to win, probably going to get a point out of it, but you're also on Arizona and Arizona has yet to score in the last two games. Uh, so <laughs> This is another reason why, I, you know, even if you put Gibby in next game, I have a feeling Arizona will probably break through at some point, but we'll it'll be remain to see. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see if that actually comes out. But no, uh, Kemper is good. What you said, they only had two shots in the third. No, in the, the, in the second, I think the Ducks only had oh, two second, shots second. in the second period. But yeah, well, it wasn't, combine that with the one shot in the better. third, the other game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't much in the third. But you know, you sometimes forget that the Coyotes were almost are, were and are almost just as bad as the Ducks at putting the puck in the back of the net. I mean, they're routinely 
two of the bottom five teams in the league when it comes to goal scoring, despite having, you know, some bigger names like Phil Kessel on the roster. But uh, I I feel they're really close to the Ducks as far as if you really kind of want to break it down. I mean, we have some of those guys that have been that upper level for a while. So like your Getzloff and they have a Kessel and they have um, uh, who's their young dude? Uh, Keller. 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 So Keller is really good. And we got maybe a Raquel somewhere in there, you know, where there's kind of that guy. And then you look at defensemen, you know, they've got Ekman Larson, they got Goligoski, they got two good goalies. I mean, I feel like everything's pretty close on par, you know, maybe some pluses or minuses. But I feel like those are two really similar teams where they're not going to blow you out score wise, except for that odd game where they do it. Usually it's going to be lower scoring. Their goal is going to have to bail them out, and that's how it's going to go. So I feel like they're very similar as far as how, how their makeup or roster wise is. Yeah, very, very similar build in the sense that, you know, no identifiable number one first line talent in terms of a goal scorer, just a first line center or anything like that uh you know a couple of veterans sprinkled throughout the lineup and then just a lot of decent players and a lot of young decent players in that lineup too when you look at connor garland and christian dvorak and lawson kraus the ducks have you know their own mix of, of similar players when you look at sam Steele and maxim comtois and you know the list goes on it, it is a very similar makeup to to what the coyotes have and why you end up every every game they seem to play the Coyotes? It's a it's a pretty close game. Whether it's a high scoring game or a low scoring game, uh, they are pretty close games. And I mean, I guess the Ducks are happy that Anthony Duclair is no longer a part of the Arizona Coyotes because when he was with them, uh, he was very much up there with Leon Draisaitl as one of the top duck killers out there. So yeah. Phil Kessel's always been a duck killer too, and he was not noticeable. <laughs> this yeah. this game and I believe he leads their team in goals. But um, you know, once again, yeah, it was just. It was kind of just the shadow on himself last season. Uh, was the first one in 11 seasons where he hasn't scored 20 goals. I think he only had 14 last season. So, yeah, some of that, that veteran uh, know-how wasn't paying off, this, uh, at least today or so far this season. Yeah, the the decline is on, it seems, for uh, yeah. for Phil Kessel in the later part of his career here. Too many uh, hot dogs, um, man. <laughs> I knew that one. I knew that one was coming up at some point here. Um Jakob Larson makes a uh, probably the first really bad questionable play of the season so far this year. Uh, just a, a bad hit from behind on Carter Garland. Uh, hit some face first into the boards. He's pretty shaken up. I think it looked like he might have been bleeding. He kind of went to the bench, slow to the, go to the bench, and, and Larson ends up picking only two minutes. A little bit lucky. He only got two minutes on that one. Um, you know, we I don't think we've been praising, but we also haven't really been trashing. Jacob Larson so far this year. I think he's been better than we expected, and he's been an average defenseman for the Ducks. But man, this was this is not a smart play. I mean, this is the this is the type of play we were used to from Jacob Larson last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's gonna happen. You're, you're gonna maybe make a, a, a play that uh, you just react and don't really think about you know exactly what you're doing on it. And unfortunately, you kind of. It's a little bit too hard on that one, and um, you know it catches them. But fortunately, you know it doesn't cost the Ducks. But yeah, it's just one of those things that will happen throughout a season, and uh, you hope it's just not a pattern. As long as it's not a pattern, I'm okay with the occasional "oops, shouldn't have done that." I think one guy we have to talk about before we close out the game here is Ben Hutton makes his Anaheim Ducks debut. He blocks a shot 
late in the third, similar yeah. to what Hackenpud did uh, earlier in the game to, to keep it a one nothing score. You look at the the stat sheet at the end of the night, Hackenpud had four blocks and Hutton was second with three blocks. I mean, this is what you bring both of these guys into the lineup to do. I think it was a, you know, not a necessarily strong debut for Ben Hutton, but he went out there and did what he had to do. And I think when you look at that Ducks bottom pairing right now, when it's a kind of a rotating door, that's all you can ask for from Ben mm-hmm. Hutton is to go out there, you know, be a d- defensively responsible a defenseman and, and, you know, do what he does best, and that's block shots. Yeah, and I also think anybody who's coming in at this point is is still playing that catch-up game where you haven't played in X amount of months. Um, you're you're playing kind of a just a weird type of game. Like this is the first one where I think uh, fans have been allowed into the arena and it's 25% capacity. So anyone who jumps in and doesn't you know, necessarily blow you out of the water, oh, you know, he should, he should have been doing better. I just think anyone goes in it doesn't make horrendous mistakes in their first couple of games that's a plus and if you go in and you're you're, you're leading in block shots and this is your first go around a, the the new nhl count that as a win i mean I, i'm not looking for them to blow the doors off just hey don't be a liability you're in good graces and as you kind of get acclimated to how what's going on you get a little bit more chances then maybe we want to see a little bit of improvement we don't want to see you tread water we want to see you get better as you move along so uh i thought i thought he played well uh what you would expect uh, especially a bottom two defenseman and if he's blocking shots at the, the rate a uh, top four is then take it yeah i mean we'll we'll take anything from, from ben hutton <laughs> right now right, right. I mean, we'll take anything <laughs> Uh, Andy Walensky hadn't looked good over the last couple of games, which is why why Ben Hutton ended up coming in from. Uh, ultimately, the Ducks grabbed the one nothing win, as you know. Thirty one save shutout for John Gibson continues his <laughs> hot start to the season. And uh, you know, speaking of guys who had a good game, I, I think you know doesn't get on the score sheet here, but Max Jones, I think this was probably his best game of the few that he's played this year. He was kind of all over the place. I thought he he was kind of getting back to what he does best. When you look at uh, the analytics side of the game, you know he was top of the list for shot attempts for at even strength. He was just behind uh, Heinen for expected goals difference at even strength as well. Uh, you know, getting his chances in this game. Obviously, the issue with with Max Jones is, as it always is, is he's, he struggles to put the puck in the back of the net. But I think this was a, a pretty good game. You know, all things considered, from him. Yeah, they and they had talked a little bit about him in the pregame uh, when the previous game against the uh, Avalanche, um, both of the goals that his line scored, he was just in front of the net, just just being distracting, just just taking a defender away, doing something like that. I think he's he's one of the only guys that we have that is willing to go to the net, be a distraction. It, Give a cross check, take a cross check, do whatever that you know maybe frees up your Getzloff and your Kells to maybe have a little bit more space to make that pass, to make that shot, to help screen a you know goalie on one of those shots. So the more he's in front of the net, the more he's trying to you know bang bodies, get get the puck out to the other guys. I consider that you know his wheelhouse, and if he can chip in a couple of goals on rebounds or deflections. As he kind of progresses, that's that's what I want to see from him now. I was hoping earlier he had that scoring touch that maybe you'd start seeing him light it up and he you know start putting things far down. But I'm more happy anyways with him being that front uh, net presence because we don't have that. We don't have that on 
you know, the 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 Silverberg uh, Henrique line. You don't really have that on the kids line. You maybe do a little bit. And then you maybe have it a little bit on the fourth line. But with that skill line with Getzloff and Raquel, they need that guy in there. And I, I feel the more he's in front of the net just being a nuisance, the better he and more effective he's going to be. And eventually those goals will just start coming. They just won't be maybe the highlight variety that we were maybe hoping for for his career. Yeah, I mean, he started behind the eight ball uh, to, to start this season. He was on the IR. He had to kind of earn his chance to get into the lineup, and he's making a good case to, to keep that there, especially with Sonny Milano on the IR and Isaac Lindstrom not looking, not really looking that great to start the year. Um, you know, he's he's got to earn you know his spot in, in the lineup somehow, and I think if he continues to play this well, eventually, eventually he's going to put the puck in the back of the net because you're playing with guys like Ryan Getzlaff and, and Ricard Raquel who could find you if you're in an open spot. So for for Jones, it, it is as it always is. You know, he'll continue to work hard, and, and eventually it's going to pay off for him. But uh, he competes, and, we, and that's that's yeah. what I want to say. I want to see him compete hard. Yeah, and and you know we've seen that from I think Maxim Comtois for the first few games was prime. You know, a prime example of that, and and Max Jones, you know, can look no further than come to uh, to to kind of show, um, you know, the type of impact he can have on the game and what he needs to do to be successful in this Ducks lineup. And you know, while he might not be as offensively gifted as Maxim Comtois, if he just gets to the right spots on the ice, Ryan Getzlaff's going to find him, or Ricard Raquel's going to find him, or you know, if he gets out on the power play, you know, Sam Steele's going to find him. He he's going to get those chances. It just comes down to can he bury them when he does get them. Um, yeah, for the one guy we got to get back to, of course, we got to get back to John Gibson. Oh yeah, and, and talk about talk about him. Surprised we're we going to talk about him right now. Oh yeah, yeah, it's going to be like this all year. But uh, you know, as we mentioned, NHL's third star of the week for uh, a two zero and one record, a one point three three goals against average, and a nine sixty save percentage, Oof. which uh, yeah, not, not too bad. Now he adds uh, another thirty one save shoutout to that, so he's three zero and one, and boosts those numbers uh, up but, a little but, bit. But Frederick Anderson's better. <laughs> didn't have a great game Freddie did uh, tonight against the Calgary Flames I'm not sure if he picked up the win last time I saw it was 4-3 Leafs but yeah uh, I never like to be on the Freddie hate train because I do think he's a good goaltender no I yeah. just like I just like the uh, you know, ah, Gibson sucks <laughs> it's always it's always going to come up but mm-hmm. uh, Gibby joins Varlamov was the only other goalie with two shutouts this year and uh, oh guess who all... has both of those goalies on his fantasy team yeah, I of course. Yeah, you're yeah, you're picking up yeah, the the shutout yeah. stats this year. Yeah, but I don't know anything about goaltending. That's right. <laughs> I have Darcy Kemper. You know what? Oh wait. Yes, I have Kemper. I'll take that. Uh, I'll, I'll right. take that. Didn't get the win, but he had a good good performance. So the numbers are good. <laughs> Thank um, God you're not playing me. I guess. <laughs> but if you know what it feels like, we we haven't dug into a, in a while, is the uh, advanced goalie stats, goal saved above average. Uh, it feels like a couple seasons since we were you know diving into those stats. We had. Uh, we had Paul on from uh, what was that? I think it was between the posts when he came on and talked about uh, John Gibson and, and Sergey Bobrovsky and the fight for the Vesna a couple seasons ago. And uh, right now, Gibson's at 7.02 goals saved above average, leads the league, gets back to uh, what we expect. I mean, anything over six is is absurd. So, and he's at seven, just over he's at seven. seven. And again, I wonder how many games has he played? I mean, jeez, yeah. he's played. He's played I, five? I guess six. Six games because Miller's played one, I think. Yeah, one. So, oh yeah, yeah. No, no. So, seven yeah, seven, seven, so seven six, goals yeah. saved above average in in six games. <laughs> it's That's uh, insane. It, yeah. It's <laughs> you, you stretch that out over an entire season. And we Gibson's shouldn't. Have, we wouldn't change. have a win. We wouldn't have yeah. a win. 
you know, obviously it's, it's impossible or not impossible, but very, very hard to sustain that type of play over an entire season. But if he did, I mean, that's on pace for close to 60 goals saved above average over that span, which, which would just be an, a ridiculous number. Like we were talking about in his Vesna season, I think it was, he was at 32 and that, yeah. is, that was a ridiculous number. Imagine finishing anywhere north of 50 is just, uh, you're getting into record territory there, but, uh, you know, we're, we're used to, you know, associating these numbers with John Gibson over his career. It's, you know, whether it be save percentage goals against average goals, saved above average goals, saved above expected, whatever you want to pull out. When John Gibson's on his game, he's usually near the top of all of those lists. Yeah, and that's that's why I can't understand understand the hate. Uh, you know, and, and I will say this, at least through, through this season versus last season. Last season, part of his problem was he would make that ridiculous save. But then he'd give up the soft one, and it almost became a tit for tat. It's like, oh well, you made that, but you also let this one in within the same game. That seemed to happen a lot last season. Now that can also be attributed to the team tanking, not playing well, and uh, definitely underperforming uh, over the last two seasons, really. And then you know this one, you know he came out and said he's going to be better the team should be better and he's taking more of a leadership role in it but that's the one thing i've noticed he hasn't really given up the 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 easy one about the only one he might say he could have possibly had was that one against vegas with um pacioretty once again yeah if you should have had a goal at pacioretty shooting it's pacioretty there's a multiple 30 plus probably gonna go in anyways but you just you hope you get it but other than that i you know most of the goals are haven't been his fault a lot of goals should have gone in that he he's making saves on so uh count your blessings uh hopefully this just continues as much as it can this season but uh anyone who's watching that that doesn't know much about goaltending or is watching the ducks just bask in in how great Gibson is because we could have a much worse goalie and a much worse goalie tandem because I think Ryan Miller is is somewhat on par with with what Gibson can do game in and game out. Yeah, and, and Nate brings up an, an interesting stat in the chat here is that the second best goaltender and goal saved above average is Mackenzie Blackwood from the Devils with three point nine. So Gibson almost completely doubles that number. And Blackwood has missed the last couple games for the Devils due to an injury. So it's a little bit inflated because I think it's only over three or four games for Blackwood where it's over six games for John Gibson. So, you know, there's there's heart trophy calls in the chat here. And if uh, if the Ducks make the playoffs and John Gibson is, is holding strong in the numbers, um, you know, we talk about a Vesta, him needing the wins. I think a hard trophy gets thrown into consideration there if he's, you know, above 925 save percentage goals against average doesn't really matter if he posts, you know, 20 wins and, and uh, continues to be near the top of the charts and goals saved above average. Like that is a potential hard trophy season from John Gibson. You could think. I, I would. <laughs> and I would say on this team in particular, who's not scoring a lot of goals. Um, I would say he's definitely our team's MVP, and I think he has when you do that three-star thing that they love showing every game yeah. on the broadcast. He's always, he, the last four years, he's, he's led it, and he's leading it now, and I'm sure they just added to that for, you know, after this game. Um, this is what will always tend to happen. you got to be 
10% better than anyone on Canada or East Coast. Anything on that side, you got to be about 10% better than anybody else to actually get that consideration for MVP. That being said, it's mostly because, unless you're Connor McJesus, um, they don't watch all the games. They watch the East Coast games, and they're up for that. But once the West Coast games come on, it's like 10 o'clock their time. And at 10 o'clock, they're not sticking around to 1 a.m. and going like, wow, that guy's really kind of killing every little <laughs> play that we're all seeing. They don't see that. And so I think that MVP thing kind of falls to the wayside until they have to look up stats and go like, oh, wow, he's really killing it. Maybe I should go back and look at some of the things he's doing. But you've got to be like well above. Uh, yeah, I hate to say that it's the East Coast, West Coast bias thing, <laughs> but I feel that that's totally where we're going to kind of be. you got to either – Unless you're a player like Kopitar is lead, was leading the league in points, you know, even then they'll probably say, oh, most of those are assists. So I've been seeing this guy play and he does little things that I haven't seen that guy do because I'm asleep by the time he's doing them. So we'll see. Yeah. But I would agree. I mean, he keeps I, that out. You can't deny it. Yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see if he can. I mean, that's the that's the big thing. And and I think you know the the issue for the Ducks still remains they can't score any goals. And not only that, the, you know the power play is suffering because of that. They're over fifteen now for the season, not one power play goal. And uh, you know when you look at the issues the Ducks had last year, it was yeah they couldn't score goals, but they also weren't playing defense that great. And the goaltending. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And show up because of that. And I think there has been some adjustments going into the season. I think the defense in front of Gibson has been a lot better. There's still some shaky moments and some bad turnovers, but. You know, it's by no means a perfect blue line. And I think there are improvements there over last year. And then obviously the goaltending, like we just talked about for the last 20 minutes, is back. And John Gibson is playing at a high level. But the main issue here is goal scoring. And, you know, the Ducks are winning games 1-0, 2-1, you know, 3-1 on an empty net goal. And, uh, you know, 0 for 15 on the power play at this point yeah, in time. Like, like, what do you do? Like, how, how do you... How do you fix that without going out and getting a goal score? Like, how do you fix that internally? The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I like what they did 
by putting Getzloff down low and being that facilitator of passes, because he is good. And as much as everyone likes, you know, what Zegers does and his vision, and he does that kind of from the half wall, uh, Getzloff, I think, moving him down low has made a lot of chances. Um, And it comes down to the same problem that we have on even strength, is who the hell is going to finish that pass? We don't really have that finisher, or we keep expecting the guys like Silverberg or Raquel or, you know, the Comtois. We need someone to finish the damn play that, that you know, at least on the power play side of things here, I guess I going to set up. Um, other than that, if we're not going to be setting up plays like that where it works, maybe send that misinformation, get it to the point. You got a power play quarterback in Shattenkirk. Let him start getting some pucks through the through there, get it on the goalie, make the, the penalty killers go from down low to up high, back to down low, see if he can maybe create some confusion, guys get open on the side of the net and start trying to bang him home. I'm not a power play specialist coach, I know, but I would assume that, hey, if this isn't quite working, go back to the basics, throw it to the point, slam it home, start getting some rebounds, get, get some of those dirty goals real quick, and then start looking at, hey, we're going to really set this thing up and we're going to be executing it you know, beautifully and they're going to start being pretty. I just feel power play maybe is looking to be a little too pretty. I just want to – I want a dirty goal. It's it's <laughs> one-dimensional yeah. right now. Um, I think teams go into it knowing that they're going to create opportunities. They've got you know creative passers in the team. they got mobile defensemen, <clears throat> but there is no shooter on either power play unit and it's evident when you've got Vinny Luteri playing on the top power play unit because you don't have a lot of options and you're trying desperately to find Throw it something on the wall, that mistakes. works yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean you know this this transitions into our kind of next topic here is um in 31 thoughts Elliot Freeman's article he made note and it was a specific point you know, his sixth point of uh, 31 in his um in the article was literally just about the ducks and it was one sentence it says keep an eye on this the ducks are looking for scoring which yeah it's not a, a news flash or breaking news or anything like that we know the ducks are looking for scoring they're in on Pierre-Luc Dubois but the one thing for me uh, that it signals is we talked about uh, on the last podcast me and Steven that you know the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation was unique not often does a player of that quality and skill level and talent become available so no wonder the ducks were in on it and, and pushing for it the thing is you know to hear that they are still looking for goal scores means they are taking a different direction here they yes you know the purely dubois situation was unique but they're not just in there because it was dubois they're in there because they are looking to bring scores in this team they are looking to address you know a certain deficiency for them right now how that develops and what that turns into and what goal score the ducks end up getting i mean we'll have to wait and see but it is nice to know that you know bob murray is out there in the market but as we know too well as ducks fans that doesn't always equate to a trade actually happening yeah he's he's, he's gonna look for that bargain um but yeah i mean it's nice they're looking because they usually they're never looking mid-season um, and they uh, definitely don't look, um, you know, to, to add a significant piece. It's usually minor things. Hey, hey, who, who did they just put on waivers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah go grab him. Yeah, we'll throw, throw him on the fourth line and see what happens. I mean, that's, that's usually what we're used to as Ducks fans. 
Um, so the fact they're even, you know, in the, the final three of Dubois, you can't you can't compete with Line being, you know, thrown in there. I mean, what the what are the Ducks going to do without literally selling the farm at that point? Uh, and even then, I don't even know if you could overcome that Line situation. But um, yeah, it, it'll kind of play out. The season's still kind of young, so we'll just kind of see where more teams that maybe were expecting success or are are still kind of knowing that they're not at that level yet and they're willing to part with you know a winger for assets or draft picks maybe they might do that i'm glad they're looking for it but you know it's just going to take time to see who's who's available and who wants to be who wants to move who at that point yeah and, and if you're anaheim too you don't want to go out and trade for a goal scorer who's struggling in hopes that he's going to come to your team and do better. So if if you're looking for a score, you're likely bringing in a guy who's doing well, which means the price is going to be higher. And then if you're Anaheim at that point, are you willing to give up assets to bring in the score? And what talent level are they at? Are they a top six forward? Then the price skyrockets a bit. And you know, are they a middle six forward? But they're you know a a you know out and out goal scorer and out and out sniper you know there, there's so many avenues the ducks could explore here because to be honest i think you know we probably didn't expect them to be a, a finalist one of three final teams in on pierre luc dubois especially you know where they are in this rebuild or retool or whatever you want to call it so you know we we've heard bob murray talk about you know the, him thinking they're a win now team and what's his direction with the team versus what's management's direction with the team versus what's Dallas Aiken's direction with the team there there is no clear message that's yeah. been put out there where you know we've talked about um teams like Ottawa and the Kings and the New York Rangers when they moved into their rebuilds there was a you know a signal or, or whatever you know as corny as yeah, maybe a letter. a letter to the fans <laughs> or whatever but at it's least there was a, <laughs> a recognition that this is where we're going. This is the direction we're going in. I think, you know, with the Ducks, we still don't know what that is. You know, there's a, a mixed kind of bag of an approach that they're taking is, you know, yes, they're going to build through the draft when they can, but there's not almost a commitment to to a full rebuild yet. Yeah, and the thing that, you know, looms over all of this is that there's an expansion draft, and at the same time, that's when Bob Murray's contract expires. And it's like, all right, well, what has he done since he got that extension for two years? It hasn't been a whole hell of a lot. You know, is he, is he you know, trying to A, save his job and make a huge splash that all of a sudden creates something? Or has, you know, ownership just kind of gone like, all right, we gave you this two years to get you to this point. Don't screw us over. And we're going to have a new GM come after expansion draft time. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a funky time for for Ducks management slash uh, ownership. Uh, but I got to think if, if he was in the running for that, it's it's not something where he's looking the you know, like a lame duck session where he's just, you know, hey, I'm on my way out. You know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to rock the boat too much. It's like, all right, I'm looking to make this team better, whether it's to save my job or it's a legitimate thing. I think this team can compete and we just need this extra piece to really do it, whether I'm here next year or not. My focus is to try and make this team better now. So yeah. it's 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 tough to to figure out exactly where where they're at. You know, you'd hope as a Ducks fan, he's he's you know he's part of the plan if he's if he's making the right moves and he's not just making the right moves to save his job. And that's where everyone's kind of like, well, let's see what he does and see what he can get done. But I mean, yeah. he's a general manager with 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 uh, some. Uh, 
some gravity to him, <laughs> meaning that you know he's he's got some collateral that he can negotiate with other GMs and maybe hopefully make a trade that's in the Ducks' best interest moving forward. Yeah, and I think when you look at the the second point from Elliot Friedman in this article, is referring to the Pierre Luc Dubois trade. He he didn't know the specifics of what the Ducks offered, uh, but he believed that Trevor Zegers and and Jamie Drysdale were not part of the offer that was put to Pierre Luc Dubois. So there is a sense of you know a future plan there, and that they're not going to move on from their top two prospects, which you know on paper you would say is an obvious decision. You don't want you're not going to trade these guys at this point in time, but you know, Korea Forever brings up an, an interesting point in our chat. He said, prospects are all what-ifs. And if the Ducks are in win-now mode, as Bob Murray says, they need to do something. And I think that's where the lack of direction comes from is you got the GM saying they're in win-now mode. Uh, they're not moving but to willing to move certain win, prospects. Has he said win-now mode or is he like, yeah. we're, just, we're not in rebuild mode? Yeah, there was a, an article in, in preseason where um, – uh, Eric Stevens, I think, did an interview with Bob Murray, uh, and I think literally the words out of Bob Murray's mouth is that they're a win now team, and that's where the whole win now kind of meme came from with with Bob Murray. So whether whatever he means by win now, and whether that's just kind of playing up the media or playing it up for for the owners or whatever it is, um, it is still out there, and it is still something that I think a lot of fans judge him on on what's your direction with this team and. You know, there are people who subscribe to the win now camp. If they if they want the Ducks to win now, why aren't you trading prospects to bring players in? And if, and then there's other people who subscribe to the other side of it. If you're in a rebuild, why are you holding on to players like Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg or Ricard Raquel when he's slumping? And you know, it, it is just tough to judge the direction. I think it was a smart move, obviously, by Bob Murray not to include Zegers in Drysdale in, in a yeah. trade for Pierre Luc Dubois. But the the question then becomes is. You know, those are definitely untouchable guys. But when you're looking for a goal scorer, does it become a hockey trade where it's Ricard Raquel for you know one for one or or close to a one for one for you know an out and out top six goal scorer, or does it become you know a prospect and Troy Terry? So like Terry and Mahara and a pick for a goal scorer. Like that's that's a direction we don't know what Bob Murray's going into. And maybe maybe it is that he's exploring both sides of it. And, and seeing what deal might work best for him uh, with the current state of the Ducks franchise. Yeah, and, and uh, this is me being, uh, you know, our armchair GM here. You got a number one center slash wing in Zegras. You got a number one defenseman for us in Drysdale. And you got possibly a number one goalie coming up in Dostal. I mean, you kind of hitting all the check marks that you kind of want. At least you got those guys. We got that figured out. You know, we'll we'll kind of compliment as we move forward. We're not going to get rid of those guys to try and win with the the current team that we have now, which, although is in my opinion, doing better than I expected. I just don't think that uh, we're a Stanley Cup talent team right now. And we've got an expansion draft coming up. You've got Getzloff contract coming off. You got Perry's contract coming off. And then we're going to have to kind of reevaluate how we're going to move things around. So I could see maybe trying to add a goal scorer, but not one that's going to cost a ton of money moving forward. Um, I figure they're going to try and figure out what they can do this season with what they've got and add small pieces. And then hopefully, like after the expansion draft, that's where you're going to go like, all right, we know this next generation, they're they're knocking on the door. This They're, they're going to probably get a shot next season uh, to come in and who are we going to compliment with them and who who can we part with? This is almost like a tryout season for me. So not, not necessarily rebuild, more 
you know, I hate to say what Palmer says, not not a rebuild, a retool, uh, you know, or a revamp or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I feel like the future is good. I mean, we got one in each solid position as far as prospects go, and I, I'd hate to see them go on the off chance we might get into the playoffs, on the off chance we might do well in the playoffs, and the extreme off chance we make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, for me, honestly, you know, to wrap up this this trade stuff here is the the big mystery of the puzzle here is Who are we well, gonna get. <laughs> we may well no, we may we may never know what Bob Murray offered in that deal for Pierre Dubois, and I think if we did, gives us a better idea of of what his thoughts are with certain players on this team or the direction he wants to take in terms of you know exploring trades and what assets he's willing to move in a deal like that. I think we all speculate Ricard Raquel was probably part of that, but you know, we, we really won't know the direction he takes until the trade is made and the assets are going the other way, right? And and whether it's prospect heavy or pick heavy or if it is, you know, a roster player for a roster player type situation. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get that, that news out from the Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, trade rumors. I think if, if anybody was going to, it probably would have been uh, would have been Elliot Friedman. But uh, at the very least, I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? It, it, it's a bit cliche there, and we say it every year with the Ducks, whether it be heading into trade deadline or just throughout the season. But uh, that uh, need for a pure goal scorer has been going on for, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, you can't ignore the struggle the Ducks have had to start the year on offense when, like we said, the power plays 0 for 15 and, you know, they're, you know, they've won three games, but the games that they have won have been by one or two goals. And, you know, they're struggling to score anywhere close to two goals per game. Like, you you know, there's an issue at that point. And some, some, at some point, something's got to cave and and you've got to make the move to, to help that out. We got to get a winger who can score goals. I mean, right now we, we just, we don't have that. We don't have anyone in the pipeline uh, that's going to be that next level. And all the good teams are going to have at least some some sort of winger that's going to be able to put the puck in the net. Even though Zegras might be the winger, he's more or less, you know, a setup guy that could also score. But I mean, he's he's like gets off a lot. Is is look pass first, shoot second. I think he's more apt to shoot. But still, you you just if you can give someone to set him up, then you got your goal scorer. We just got to find that person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, at this point in time, I, I you know, the, the probably the most thing I'm open to over everything. And as much as I love Ricard Raquel, and I hate to say it, but if you can, you know, convince a team to, to swap a, a goal scoring and 20, 25 plus goal score for Ricard Raquel, and maybe you add something, you know, a little bit more enticing to that, I think you got to at least try and make that trade. And for me, it obviously depends on who's coming back the other way. And you're not going to get a superstar by any means. But if you can bring in a guy who consistently bangs in, you know, 25 plus goals a season is, you know, isn't North of 30 yet is kind of right around the same age as Ricardo Raquel. So he can be a part of this team moving into the future. I think you know, that's one of the best moves the ducks can make right now. And I don't know who that is. I haven't put any thought to, yeah. to who could it be available and who you would search for in that. I know career forever in our chat, uh, said trade for Taylor hall, which, uh, you know, that's, uh, a whole other topic. He's a one-year contract, and yeah, he's not going to resign. Yeah. Uh, but but then yeah, even if you if you trade Ra- Raquel, Raquel has some value, not necessarily in goal. You know, I mean, like you know, he was a thirty-goal scorer, but you know that's obviously tail- tailored off. Uh, but 
he also has a really great contract that a lot of teams would find mm-hmm. financially as a benefit and willing to maybe trade someone who right now can score more goals, but is going to cost more money down the road where Raquel's a little bit more of a, uh, a commodity, maybe just needs a change of scenery and he's a, a smaller uh, price tag. So, I mean, there's, there's even more value on the Raquel side of things. So, you know, I, I'd agree with you. I think Raquel is probably the most attractive trade piece that we have that's not a prospect um, or draft pick at this point. It would be Raquel. But, you know, we, we'd we want someone that, that we know could put up the goals that we were hoping Raquel was going to be doing. Yeah. And then, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, as, as we kind of always say here, and what Bob Murray's going to do and whether he gets that done. Uh, to wrap up the show here, we got a fan question that came in from Caitlin. And, we chatted a bit about the expansion draft briefly here in the show, but uh, she said, thinking about the expansion draft, who are some of the players that need to be protected, more specifically some of the kids? So I'll list out the kids who can be exposed uh, and, and can be picked up by Seattle in this expansion draft. So uh, Max Jones, Sam Steele, Isaac Lindstrom, Troy Terry, and I guess if you want to include Sonny Milano as a kid in there, but really it is those four in, in Terry Lindstrom, Steele, and Jones, who would need to be protected. Uh, obviously, guys like Zegris, uh, Perot, Tracy, Benoit, Olivier, Grew, they're all exempt. And Maxim Comtois, luckily for the Ducks, is also exempt. So that doesn't add another uh, another wrinkle to this. But when you think that you know Adam and Henrique is a guy they would might want to protect. Uh, same goes for Silverberg, Raquel. Um, you know, at that point, you know, whether who's still here out of those guys, uh, is Ryan Getzlaff a guy that you're going to sign beforehand and have to protect him? Or are you going to wait till after? They're you know what wait. I mean? It's, they're going to wait till after. They're yeah. going to play that smart and just be like, yeah, that's one guy we don't have to. Let's have that conversation. I think it's the same conversation they have with uh, Derek Grant. It's like, listen, we're going to trade you. You get a chance with Philly. We really want to keep you, but we want to also make ourselves a little bit better, and you're not going to get a chance at the playoffs. So I feel that would probably be their route is like, hey, there's no re-signing right now. If you want to stay here, we have a spot. We will work something out for sure. So um, as far as those young kids go, uh, I think Steele's a definite because Getzloff, even if he comes back, there's a regression. Like I think this is maybe his last season as the number one center. Henrique should probably be that, but I think Henrique is a possibility to be. I won't say picked off, but I want to have those three centers. If I can have Ketzloff, Henrique, and Steele, that's good. I like Max Jones because he does something no other Duck player does, and that's get in front of the net. And I'm sorry, but we sorely miss that. Um, and then uh, Terry, I'm fine with losing. That does not bother me anymore. Um, <laughs> I think I made that evident. And then uh, who's the other one that we got to worry about? Uh, so it's it's Terry, Lindstrom, Steele, and Jones. And I'm fine Steele, with Lindstrom. Yeah. yeah. So right now, Steele and Jones have, have met exposure requirements, so they have to be protected. Troy Terry only needs to play one more game to hit exposure requirements, then he would be Ooh, eligible. Do you think that's what, do you think that's what it is? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if they're, they're planning on keeping him out for the remaining 50 games this season. That would be an interesting they, way to go about it. You never know. He's on the, yeah, he could be on the taxi squad for a while. You never know, but, uh, you know, obviously, like we said, uh, Henrique, Silverberg, <laughs> Raquel, all exposed, uh, Heinen, Milano, Grant, Terry needs one Milano, game. Milano, yeah. Milano, yeah, yeah it sucks, but... Uh, 
I like his game too, but you know, it's you know, if, if he's the one that has to go, I'm okay with it. it you know, it's not ideal, but if they're gonna take somebody, I, I guess you know, yeah. he's, he's one to take or Lundstrom. Lundstrom has 25 games remaining to meet exposure requirements as well, so that might be one where he actually doesn't hit that list and isn't okay. eligible to be exposed to. Uh, to Seattle, I don't. I'm not sure he plays 25 more games this year. That's a, a bit of a stretch. Depends if, it depends if the Ducks start tanking pretty hard. Then throw. I think if you're there. Anaheim too, though, even even if at that point you're aware of that, you know, you can play him 20 games, but you don't. Maybe you just don't play him for that full 25, so he doesn't get put on that list, and you have to worry about it, right? You know, that could be a strategy for for them heading into expansion Sorry, draft. I don't like Lundstrom, so I just <laughs> I'd, I'd rather him be gone. Be like, hey, they took that guy. All right, we're good. I think out of all, to answer the question, I think out of all the kids, the one guy I can safely say that you need to not leave exposed is Sam Steele. I think from there, you know, you can make your cases for for Max Jones and Troy Terry and, and uh, Isaac Lindstrom. But for, for me, out of those four, if you only can protect one, it's Sam Steele. There's no question well, about it. I don't think question, it's anywhere close. Which, which one can you protect? Or No, it, it, it was kind of like... You know, oh, who, who who's out of all of them, what you know? Yeah, what what kids do the Ducks have to protect? The only two I'd really want to see is Steele and uh, Max Jones. Yeah, yeah, and uh, interestingly enough, Josh Manson for some reason still needs one game remaining to, to meet exposure requirements because uh, yeah, I mean, I mean you know, we'll, we're going to get into expansion enough once we get closer to yeah. the actual date as well but it is an interesting thing when you think the ducks probably would have went to th- what is it? i think it's seven forwards three defensemen one goalie that's the route they went against vegas that's the route you would expect them to go here the problem is you now have fowler uh lindholm shattenkirk and manson if manson plays one more game this year that which he will when he gets back from injury that uh, you have to worry about. Obviously, Larson makes that list. Ben Hutton makes that list as well. And uh, Gooley, Hackenpah, Willinski, and Josh Maher have 20-plus games remaining to to be part of that. But could the Ducks go the eight forward and defenseman and one goalie route where you miss out on two protection rights there, but if they want to keep Fowler, Lindholm, Manson, and Shattenkirk, you go with those four protected, and then you protect four forwards when probably works out if they're all still here to be Henry right. Silverberg, Raquel, and probably Sam Steele. No, I don't. I, I, I keep the top three. Once again, I don't, I'm just not sold on Manson ever regaining that same form that we saw when it was him and Lindholm or like the, that, those two guys, you got to keep them together. They're just, they're so good together. That hasn't, that hasn't happened in two, two and a half seasons now. So um, I'd rather them just hold on to the the Fowler, Lindholm, Shattenkirk, and then save more of the forwards, because um, I just I just don't see Manson coming back off of what he's four to six weeks out with injury, and he comes back in and just all of a sudden just lights it up. And be like, oh, that's why we need to keep him. I just yeah. I don't I, I don't see that happening. So if, if it's, it's been a downward trend for the most part, I don't see it all of a sudden skyrocketing to where oh yeah he's invaluable. Let's go. Let's say four defensemen never top four again. I just I just don't see it right now. Yeah, uh, I, and honestly, I think if expansion draft was today or or the roster is as it is now going into expansion draft, I think the Ducks probably go that eight forward defenseman route. 
where they keep those top four defensemen, and then they probably go with Henrik Silverberg, Raquel, and, and Sam Steele. And then that leaves, you know, Getzlaff essentially exposed, Danton Heinen exposed, Sonny Milano, Troy Terry, Isaac Linderstrom, and Max Jones. You lose one of those guys. But in that situation, that's probably the best way for the Ducks to go. You don't want to lose Josh Manson for nothing. You don't want to lose any of those forwards that they, I listed as being protected for nothing. You know, you don't want to lose Henrik or Silverberg. You're going to lose, lose someone for nothing. Yeah. So if it comes down to it, you know, sucks losing Max Jones in, in some sense. For a lot of people, it sucks losing Isaac Lindstrom and Troy Terry for nothing. But you're going to have to lose somebody throughout this expansion draft. And that's probably the least painful option uh, you know, at surface value for Anaheim. But it all comes down to, you know, is Ricard Raquel part of this team? at the end of the season is josh manson a part of the team are they are either of them a part of this team at the end of the season does anybody else get moved and and that will present its own wrinkles and in, into the expansion draft but uh, in, in all honesty looking at it as it is now i could see the ducks going that eight forward or that eight skater route and one goaltender you know they're gonna take ryan miller anyways <laughs> go as number one John Gibson wins the vest and the Hart right, Trophy, right. and they protect Ryan Miller. <laughs> right. and it, or Anthony Stolarz, because he's also <laughs> oh, yeah, exposed. He's so. yeah. Alrighty, well, that uh, brings it to an end for today's show. We Aww. will be back on Thursday <laughs> to cover another game versus the Anaheim Ducks and Arizona Coyotes. John Gibson might be in that game. If he is, the Ducks definitely have a very good shot of winning that game, as they did this one. Uh, we will again be live 15 to 20 minutes after that show. And the last thing I want to bring up too is um, yesterday I mentioned that uh, you know if you do like the show and, and you do like listening to us, um, we have a couple other ways that you can support us. We do have a Patreon where we release two bonus episodes every month. It's patreon.com slash Mighty. And yeah, I mean, Pucks and, is, <laughs> Pucks and Brews is a fun show. We do that They're twice a month. <laughs> and then uh, you know we all of our patrons are in our exclusive Discord too, where we can talk with them, uh, you know, throughout the week, whether it be about duck stuff or just stuff around the NHL. So it's always a fun time there. And uh, we also are running a contest right now that uh, if you do want to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, we're giving away a Forever Mighty Fan Pack. So you know those reviews help uh, help our show grow, help our show get seen. So if you if you do like the show, we appreciate you leaving a review and. You know, for this month, they're, uh, we're, we're giving away a Forever Money fan pack to, to one of those people who post a review. So head yeah, on over. Even if you don't like our show, leave a review. <laughs> you can win a yeah. fan pack. Leave a review, but make sure it's, uh, <laughs> it's a five-star. I know I'll be ones. leaving a one-star, but that's just me. <laughs> I hate Canadians. We'll sorry. Yeah. Litter our show with uh, <laughs> with one-star reviews. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, guys. I'm going to take this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be back on Thursday for the post-game show. And then we won't be uh, live on Saturday because it's back-to-back. So we'll be live Thursday, and then we'll be live on Sunday to cover both Blues games. And then moving forward, it'll be as per scheduled after every game except for the back-to-back. So thanks for everybody coming out. Love to see you all here again. Love to see new people in the chat. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Bye, guys.